You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode 94, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you for joining me as we explore the U.S. medical system in a fun, informative format through expert analysis. Today's expert is Dr. Mary Tipton. Dr. Tipton is an internal medicine pediatric physician in Utah, and she's also a member of the Practicing Physicians of America. They're one of the organizations that was instrumental in getting the White House to sign four executive orders on July 24th of 2020 that lowers prescription costs for seniors through the Medicare program. Terminology that might be familiar to those who listen to the show are pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs. And a majority of the thrusts of these executive orders were addressing PBMs and the safe harbor laws and other problems with prescription pricing in the market. I'd also like to apologize for my audio that goes really wonky during about one-third of the way through the interview. I had a microphone poop out, and fortunately I had backup systems, so I was able to maintain a recording that is pretty good, and I think you'll still be able to follow the conversation just fine, but it is not up to snuff, and the next interview uh, goes up without a hitch, so we'll be back to our usual audio for episode 95. As always, you can find the show notes and things we talk about in the show at theparadox.com slash 94. So that's P-A-R-A-D-O-C-S. I encourage you to right now subscribe to the show if you do not already. If you do subscribe to the show and you like it, share it with a friend. Send a text message with this link or maybe an email or post on Facebook. You have been absolutely instrumental in getting me on the Doctors Podcast Network, which should launch by the end of this year at some point, and should greatly increase the listenership and reach for the show and our advocacy. But without further ado, my discussion with Dr. Mary Tipton on PBMs, and what the newest executive orders mean for the pricing of pharmaceuticals. Enjoy. Here with my new friend, Dr. Mary Tipton. She's a practicing physician in MedPeds in Utah, which is a suburb of Salt Lake City. And I'm having her on to talk about pharmacy benefit managers, safe harbor laws, uh, the executive order recently signed by President Trump, which she was instrumental in some way of getting, uh, getting through and um, working on. But um, Dr. Tipton, thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you for having me. Why don't you talk about your visit to the White House? It was, I think you said, it's July 24th, so just a couple weeks ago as we're recording this now. Um, explain exactly, I guess, how you ended up in Washington, D.C. I'm still trying to figure that out myself. <laughs> it was a little bit of a last minute and very exciting thing. Um, I, I know it came um, about predominantly because I've been working on this issue for several years on a local and mostly national level. 
a member of Practicing Physicians of America, which is under the umbrella of another organization called Free to Care. And uh, that organization, if I understand, was tapped to find some practicing physicians who have been working on the issues of drug pricing and specifically, I think, the PBM um, kickbacks, because now we know that that was one of the things that was targeted with the executive order. So I just received a call 36 hours before the event. I was actually on a family vacation and oh, it wasn't even a call, it was a text yes. from like a friend who said, are you in? This is this. I said, um, yeah, I think I could make time to go to the way out. So then uh, next thing I know, 24 hours later, I was on a plane, takes a while to fly from Utah all the way to DC and basically went straight from the airport to getting ready to go in. It was a big day. So you mentioned you're part of the Practicing Physicians of America. And, you know, I saw a lot of the photographs from the signing event, I guess you call them. I think they have these things for all the bills the president signs. You know, various people yeah. are in the room and they hand out pens to everyone and stuff. But um, they're all women. I thought that was very interesting as far as physician. At least yeah. that's that was my impression. So would that were, most, were mostly women spearheading this within the Practicing Physicians of America? Or is this just sort of those are people who are available? I think both. <laughs> uh, there, there are definitely some um, men that we've worked with. It's just uh, we were we were chosen, and definitely the ones that have worked, I think, the most on this issue are all female that I know of. Great. And when we talk about PBMs or pharmacy benefit managers, I've talked about this a number of times. The first time it was with Dr. Mary Mass, episode five. There are a number of others that will be linked to in the show notes at theparadox.com slash 094. Uh, why don't you briefly explain what a PBM is and then what the – what the goal was of this signing ceremony? Uh, pharmacy benefit managers, like many things, started out as a good idea and then became uh, bastardized, if you will, or uh, corrupted by power and money. And so the pharmacy benefit managers are the middlemen or the go-between for the uh, manufacturers and then the uh, health insurance companies. Uh, so they administer or uh, offered offered to administer the plans and negotiate the plans for pharmacy for pharmacy benefit within the health insurance companies. Um, I think the problems came in that they uh, are they negotiate on their own behalf and not necessarily patients. Um, but the idea was that they would negotiate on behalf of patients and insurance companies for these medications. Right, and so I think you know when we look at the. The implications of this, it obviously drives up the cost of pharmaceuticals to people with whether they're in insurance companies or I'm sure I'm sorry, I should say whether they have insurance or not. And so even people who don't have insurance, they see the same inflated prices at the pharmacies and whether they're paying cash or through an insurance plan. And then you also see medication shortages, which I experienced and I think every physician experienced on some level. Um Both just I because think are related. Yeah, which are related because it as it as you have these weird fees that are associated with having, being able to become a part of the PBM. Uh, you know, you have to get on the formulary, these companies have to pay, it becomes so expensive that only a few companies can actually pay and then you have less people who can produce their medication. And then some production line hap problem happens and you can certainly see supply chain issues, you know, with this COVID um, where you see a, a couple plants closed down and what was uh -huh. a very efficient system suddenly looks very, um, there's not much slack in it. Uh, and so then you can see the same, there's no, you know, no one else in the ability to sort of take, pick up the, pick up the excess and you can see the same thing, the medications. And yeah, that's again, what we discussed in episode five, Dr. Mass, mm -hmm. but. Yeah, they profess to be helpful, but uh, I think the, the proof is 
is that they are not and that they inflate prices and cause shortages. Right. So what exactly did now I know uh, President Trump signed, I think it was like five executive orders. Uh, four. Or four. OK. Uh, mm-hmm. What exactly or I guess what specifically did, did the executive orders do with Safe Harbor and Actually, maybe the first thing, why don't you just talk about what safe harbor is, because that's a sort of a different thing related to the PBMs. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, one of the things I'm sure we'll touch on is that executive orders um, aren't as far reaching or as long lasting as we might like, because right. President Trump and his administration clearly gets this concept that our system is rigged, that the PBMs take these uh, uh, rebates, which I think should be more aptly characterized as kickbacks. So one of the uh, executive orders that's targeting this uh, rebate system or kickback system was the one we were probably most excited to see. And we really uh, honestly did not know that it would even be on there until they just literally threw back the curtain. Um, We, no joke. Uh, We, I mean, we've always hoped this was talked about like one to two years ago. Um, I think it was 2019 when um, the rebate rule was first uh, dangled out there and then rescinded. By the Trump administration, so I, we really didn't know until it came up. And, and truly, sitting there when they pull, what, what happens is they have a big cardboard thing covering covering the um, stage, uh-huh. and then they had like a cardboard kind of thing, pasteboard saying the four rebate rules. And then, and then right when he walks out, or right before, they just took that off, and then we all were like, <laughs> "It's on there." It was truly like that. I mean, these things are a little bit secret and stuff. We just kind of showed up, but we were very excited to see that the rebate rule was on there and that he specifically called these things out as kickbacks. Um, that's novel. I mean, for sure the uh, PBMs and the industry tries to utilize vocabulary to their advantage to call them by a different, less uh, uh, pointed name, I guess, or something yeah. more innocuous type of name, you know, just to say, well, we pass these rebates back to insurance companies. But really, they're taking kickbacks, and I think that's a word that kind of helps the American public and um, and doctors who don't know much about this system too uh, realize that it is uh, a bit nefarious and actually illegal in other supply chains and other industries. And so that brings us to what you talked about, the safe harbor. So uh, the Congress has actually granted the PBMs a safe harbor to allow them to um, basically secretly accept and and solicit and take these kickbacks. Um, for pharmaceuticals. And that, as I said, illegal in other areas, but they have a safe harbor for this. So the fact that the Trump administration, I think, would call them kickbacks, identify um, the PBMs as uh, taking them and inflating prices is, is a victory in my mind. Although, as we uh, might talk about, we have a long ways to go. Right. Yeah. So um, I guess to maybe explain it further too. So when you were talking about these kickbacks, rebates, it's sort of like the term, like if you have a, if you're in support of it, you call it a plan. If you're opposed to it, you call it a scheme, right? It's sort of the, yeah. the rebates and kickbacks. So in theory, what, what happens, I guess, is that you have, um, there's a, you know, they're, they negotiate a deal, the pharmacy benefit management negotiated a deal with the pharmaceutical company, say we get a 50% discount on the medication or something like that. Theoretically, that would be passed on to the people who are purchasing it, right? They get a 50% discount on the medication. But what the pharmacy benefit managers oftentimes do is they charge you the full price or nearly the full price and keep the majority of that. So it sort of yeah. becomes a, um, a pay-to-play for the pharmaceuticals to get on the formula for the PBMs. It certainly and, is. Right. And now that PBMs are owned by insurance companies, that money that they're passing back 
to someone is just put in their own pocket and right. a little bit harder to trace. And I think it's really hard for most people to to realize that the pharmacy benefit managers are the I think they're like the biggest healthcare companies profit wise in, in well in healthcare. And that their profits are I think a billion dollars. I think it's like a billion dollars a day on on average. So three hundred sixty billion dollars a year. And so you can imagine the amount of lobbying power they have, uh, the potential right. to affect regulation, the regulatory bodies, and um, yeah. and it's a monopoly. I would say, except except it's an oligopoly. There's three companies: um, Express Scripts, Caremark, and Optum that control up to ninety percent of all the prescription transactions in the country. And I I, I know from looking at this issue for quite a while, that they work in collusion. <laughs> they right. increase prices in lockstep. That's been shown. They um, certainly coordinate their efforts to maintain their profits. So they function almost as a monopoly and definitely are gatekeepers and control and rig our pharmaceutical system, I believe. So obviously the concern with the executive orders is that they're, they're not permanent. With legislation, you have a bill that's written, and unless it has a sunset provision or has some sort of um, uh, provision where it ends, it will be in effect perpetuity. Obviously, with an executive order, it's as good as long as a president thinks it's okay or until the next president or some future president decides to change that. And that's always the risk with having ruling by executive order. That is correct. Right. And so... Um, so why don't you explain what the what your plan is as your for your organization? Are you are you looking to try and push this beyond, or do you think legislators at this point are like, eh, now it's sort of been decided. We don't need to mess with this. We've got other things to do. What do you oh, what do you what's your legislative strategy? Well, first maybe I should explain uh, what this executive order does exactly and what the limitations of it are. Okay, why don't you do that? that? And then that will under uh, underscore why we have a lot more work to do. Uh, so these uh, rebates that happen with all the transactions we talked about with these uh, companies that control a lot of the supply chain, these rebates um, cannot be uh, outlawed, I guess you could say, truly without a repeal of that safe harbor law from Congress. So we absolutely would need to change the underlying structure of how these companies are able to pick out, pick, pick off <laughs> money um, from every single you know transaction and and control the market. And the only way to really do that would be to outlaw that safe harbor for PBMs. And we believe it would be best to even outlaw all the safe harbor for both PBMs um, and group purchasing organizations who are like the PBMs of the healthcare supplies. Uh, so perhaps we'll go more on that later. But this executive order only covers the rebates in the Medicare Part D uh, plans. So because that's under the purview of the executive uh, branch or the federal government, you know, that's the part that they or he could potentially control. Right. So he tasked the Health and Human Services uh, Secretary, Azar, who was there with us, I was a little bit starstruck, <laughs> to, um, to do this and to say, look, not only are these um, kickbacks and should no longer be able to be taken, they, these rebates should be, you know, restructured perhaps, or, and um, passed on to patients. So that in and of itself is a very novel concept because like uh, we were mentioning, the, the money that these PBMs collect from manufacturers and, and stuff, they take, they take some of it and they pass uh, some perhaps to the, to the insurance companies, they say, um, which they own, uh, but none of it goes to the patients. Right. And so that's how this system increases costs, out-of-pocket costs for our Medicare beneficiaries, for our 
seniors. They're paying huge amounts. So the list prices are high. Like let's say we have a drug that costs $5,000 and 50 to 60% of it goes to the PBM. That's how high some of these rebates are. They're, they're huge, thousands of dollars, huge percentages. And so um, the, the patient, however, is paying their cost sharing based on the percentage of a list price. Right, right. So the patient is paying a very high price and they're not getting any of the uh, you know, money back to them. So it would be a very novel concept to pass that savings, um, actually make it a little more like a market <laughs> yeah. um, where the person who's buying the prescription, at least you know, in, in part with their cost sharing, um, especially if it's in catastrophic phase, is getting some of the savings. So that's what this rebate, or, uh, this executive order does. Um, right. And and that's big. I mean, that's estimated $30 billion a year. $30 billion a year would be saved uh, from the this section. But the scheme, I'm going to say, <laughs> is much bigger than that. And so if it could be repealed uh, for private insurances, uh, it would be more far-reaching. And then again, like you said, um, unless Congress acts, uh, we could potentially lose this game in the system and it could be uh, turned over with another administration. Right. So, so we absolutely have more work to do. Yeah, so I think to, um, to illustrate those points a little bit more, one is you can see the incentive for a pharmacy benefit manager to have increased prices because if you offer a discount of 50%, uh, it's 50%, if you get that 50% back, you're obviously getting more back if you have a higher list price. And so you're incentivized to have not only more expensive uh, medication prices for medications, but also to have more expensive medications in your in your formulary versus uh, lower, you know, more inexpensive uh, alternatives, which is a strange sort of concept because you think in general, like insurance companies would want cheaper medicines, but they actually are incentivized to have more expensive ones because they get a bigger percentage of that money back. Uh, right. And then the other thing to think about with the rebates is that you can imagine if you're going to sort, and I just purchased something with a rebate last night, so that's why it comes to mind, but if you were to buy something that has a 10% rebate, let's say, and then it turns out that the company that sells the, uh, the product to the, say, to the hardware store gives all 10% back to the hardware store, it doesn't, it doesn't help me at all by buying it through the rebate. But it's sort of, this, that's pretty much yeah. the, the way this, this system works, right? The insurance company gets the money back or it stays within the company, but the, the rebate actually never makes it back to the person yeah. purchasing they, they, they utilize it to decrease premiums. And that's one of the arguments that they're using to try sure. to fight this rule. Um, in fact, uh, because of so much pushback last year when this was um, rolled out, I should say, or, or, or proposed, um, because of that, uh, well, first of all, when it, when it was rolled out in 2019, uh, there was this outcry that seniors are not are going to be upset, that's going to increase their premiums. And there's already ads crafted to try to target seniors and tell them, look, your uh, administration is trying to increase your Medicare right. premiums and that's what's going to happen and, and you don't want that. So it, which is a very clouded way, I think, of presenting the situation certainly to benefit um, the PBMs in this whole system. But, but truthfully, uh, you're right, the patients do not get that money back. So I, what I was going to say is there's a caveat in this executive order that um, HHS can't implement this if it will increase premiums for seniors. Yeah, and that's going to be really tricky, right? Because, um, you know, the cost of a premium is Pretty affected low. by so many things, right? And so mm -hmm. on some of it probably is true that that by removing this extra revenue stream, it's going to affect premiums. Um, 
So uh, but what I've heard estimated, I don't believe that it will, if it was, especially if it was universally applied, um, to not just to Medicare Part B. Or if it did, it would be very, very modest, I mean, like five, ten dollars or something. And 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 it would realign the market incentive, incentives in, in a better way. I think so. It would be worth it um, because again, the people who are utilizing these expensive medications, uh, who are bearing the cost. At a higher level, could potentially get some of the kickback, or right, you want to sure. call it, or discount. We should call it discount, maybe. You know, and it would right. be more likely to be called a discount if it's passed to the patient. I mean, like you said last night, you bought the thing. They said, "Hey, what's well, really like discounted because you get this rebate?" And you're like, "Oh, it's, yeah, it's like like it's ten percent off." But I mean, if you never see the ten percent, can't call it a discount. Like, right? No, no, I know. Uh, yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, obviously the concern here is if you want to try and get a more broad repeal the safe harbor law, not just with Medicare, which I'd also like to point out that notice we're talking about medication expenses to, be, to seniors with Medicare. So by the way, Medicare for all doesn't mean free healthcare. <laughs> but anyway, that's sort of a side. Um, but uh, with, with trying to get this legislation pushed, you're obviously fighting, I mean, it's sort of like picking the fight with the biggest bullies in the, in the playground, right? I mean, these are the most powerful lobbying forces within America. I think I would argue probably I think probably even bigger than defense manufacturers my, is my guess. Yeah, um, but there is a reason they've been uh, called uh, mafia. Yeah, because <laughs> um, they they are really powerful. Uh, locally in Utah, um, there's some pretty brave legislators that have tried to speak out on this issue, and also independent pharmacists because they have suffered greatly right. uh, with the rules set up the way they are. And um, I personally have talked to these people about the uh, intimidation tactics that are not subtle, that they have undergone just by even breathing uh, a little word that, they, that the gig might be up. So what I'm again hoping is that this is like a, a beginning. You know, we, we were excited to be there. We yeah. are excited that, that um, this was brought to light just because any kind of chipping away at the corruption, any kind of exposure or threat to the uh, current corrupt market, I think is, is a step because they, they are a little bit running scared. And that's what, that's what we want. I think, you know, if people just think, well, I keep doing this forever, like they'd be complacent, meaning um, the people who are benefiting from it. And yet if they, if, if we could get the public, truly that's what it would take because the petition, politicians are all bought off. Um, truth be told. I mean, as you mentioned, this is billions and billions of dollars uh, that I'm not putting into the system to get what I want to happen. And so I'll never be able to get influence with money. Uh, but they can buy influence with money and they have. And so unless uh, the, the people, you know, really say, well, I don't think it's fair that I'm paying my premiums and they're just serving to increase the prices of medications and pad the pockets of these billionaires. In fact, I don't like this at all. And I want my legislator, congressman, senator to rescind this safe harbor and to make this an actual market. We're not gonna have, we're not gonna have change. But if we did have a pushback like that on a, on a, a nationwide level, it could be powerful, really powerful. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the fact that we have now with high deductibles, people are more conscious about, of price, that they weren't paying any attention to these things before. Mm -hmm. uh, it certainly is going to put people into position to try and figure things out more. This is a super complicated issue, right? It's like a, 
it's 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 like revealing the curtain and then you have to pull the curtain back four more times to have any idea really what's going on yeah and um to try and explain it to the average person who has about 10 second uh, attention span when it comes to these complicated issues is super hard uh, all they it really know is. is right and so um it, i would say okay. most physicians don't understand it right and i think they're yes. as much in the know and even pharmacists probably don't even know to, to a large extent Especially employed physicians and employed pharmacists that's correct yeah. I have found that independent ones clearly see it more easily and more um, personally. So it, is it fair to say that there's not a, a party difference, Republican, Democrat, there's not really, um, you know, you'd be just, you'd be just as likely to be successful with the President Trump as you with the President Biden or, I mean, I, with this issue. Yeah. Do, do you, do you notice I hope a difference? so. Our uh, organization, Free to Care is definitely bipartisan and doesn't sure. tend to be political. Um, we are physicians first, and we promote the physician-patient relationship and the sanctity of that and wanting to preserve that at all costs. And I believe that that is and should be a bipartisan issue. So I am hopeful that um, on some level we could get this uh, accomplished regardless of who um, is, re is uh, elected in November. Sure, yeah. I mean, do, you, um, do you notice a difference like in the Senate or the, or the House? I mean, as far as moving to safe harbor legislation, do you, do you find... I mean, I guess where do you find uh, your supporters? A hard. This is the type of thing that people acknowledge behind closed doors, yes, but are okay. unwilling to take a stand and jeopardize their gravy train for campaign. Yeah, no, that makes sense, right? I There's hate no to say that, but I have heard no that firsthand, firsthand from multiple lawmakers, and I will call out Mark Meadows. Um, I do believe that one of the reasons that this rebate rule was put back in, despite a lot of pushback, uh, potential pushback from both sides of the aisle, is because the chief of staff, Mark Meadows, also really gets this issue and has been a supporter of uh, repealing Safe Harbor before he became affiliated with the administration more closely. So I'm proud of him, and I'm sure it must be a very unpopular and difficult situation. Um, even uh, Trump mentioned, like in the, if you listened or could listen to the uh, speech that he gave, you know, prior to the signing, he was like, I've been getting a lot of calls in the last three days. I mean, and one of my friends who's uh, works for pharma and drug company, I mean, they were in a tizzy. Between yeah. this and the IPI uh, executive order, uh, pharma and um, these big companies were were on alert, and I know that they were calling, and, and other um, lawmakers have been calling Trump and saying, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" Um, so the fact that he would bring practicing physicians to, to the table, like myself, instead of other deep pockets or something, and you know, allow us to be there for the signing, speaks volumes. The fact that he would call these uh, rebates or discounts out as kickbacks, as they truly are, shows that he really wants what's best, I think, I believe, for the physicians and the patients, and that he's not willing to just kowtow to the swamp. Yeah, right. Actually. You know, because some of these people, they're pretty entrenched, and um, there's a reason that they these companies have been able to utilize these uh, laws to their advantage for so long, because they have strong relationships on the Hill. So uh, it's impressive, I think, that in and of itself. And so I would hope that another administration could do that, but I am a little bit doubtful because in the past it, it hasn't been too successful to get this uh, issue addressed. 
Well, you wonder too, but you, I don't think anybody really has been working and pushing this very hard for the last, until recently. I, mean, I don't feel like there was a lot of resistance to PBMs until around when Trump came in. And I don't, I think it was, you know, sort of, yeah, I think it was just, I, I think it's, it's a testament to people who are pushing this issue and maybe they had it in someone's ear in the White House and they got the, this on the radar, right? And that's sort of how it, how these things happen. And so it's a testament to you guys, what you've done. I mean, Thank you. And the increased costs, like you said, in the high deductible plans, anything that allows a consumer to act more like a consumer uh, is going to actually produce some market pressures that I think are beneficial. And that probably hasn't happened as much until until lately. You're right. Yeah, no, I think it is no question. I mean, I've talked about it a number of times that, that you can pass all the transparency laws you want, but it's not going to do a look a difference, uh, make a look a difference until you actually have people who are out shopping and actually care about transparency. You don't care what the yeah. wholesale price is of anything. Normally, when you go to the store, no one cares. Uh, hey, why if someone's thinking... going to offer me a Ferrari or a Fiat, and they're like, I mean, it's the same for you, the price, either way. Like, what? Yeah. I mean, what am I going to choose? I'm going to choose that Ferrari, I suppose. Why wouldn't I? The copay is the same. So it's just a completely backward system that we have. Um, it, it inflates prices. No question. I mean, no question. That's a lot of the problem. So where do you guys see yourself? What do, now you've had this, this is obviously a huge success. I'll call it a huge success because it is. It's like the first, you know, the first little victory in this, this battle. You can't take down Mordor in one stroke, right? Uh, what, what, do you, what do you see as your next step? What are you working on next or what's going on with the, the, the PPA? So on this issue, um, we would like uh, to just ed continue to educate, I think, lawmakers, people, one at a time, that this isn't right. These, uh, the, what I was telling you, these core principles that they inflate the price, they cause shortages, and, and we can make a change, but only Congress really can make a change. And so um, working on that, I think, and then some of the other uh, just transparency issues that are going to hopefully illustrate the cost and waste in the healthcare system. Uh, free to care has a white paper that we have um, written and w well we were hoping to push a little bit more at our spring con conference which was canceled and our yeah. fall conference which we just canceled everyone's right. struggling with the same problems the series a bit stagnant in a lot of ways for us for, for group organizations sadly yeah. um but the the white paper was written two years ago and it still stands i mean the core problems that our healthcare system is experiencing with costs and, and waste, I think, uh, could be addressed in ways that are uh, not necessarily leading to a specific healthcare plan or policy change or political party, but things that could could help us have the money and the ability to respond in a with whatever system we choose and have more money at our disposal. So things like uh, getting rid of the um, having more primary care physicians reimbursing them for actual quality and outcomes, things like um, having a better system for the pharmacy supply chains and the uh, healthcare supply chains. We didn't really mention too much, but the group purchasing organizations benefit from this same, and it's estimated that they cost up to $200 billion a year uh, for uh, our healthcare system and benefit, not you, not me. No patience. That money is just being skimmed off the top of, for these middlemen and these fat salaries, for sure. So uh, eliminating some of those kind of things, I think, would go a long way to giving us some of the capital 
and um, momentum to make some real changes. Right. And I would point out that I don't have any problem with middlemen. I think they're super important to help wholesalers, people who improve the efficiency of systems and, and moving products around. But these middlemen are generally not of much help. <laughs> so uh, there's- Yeah, we could do a fee-based system. I mean, that's something to say. We do need people who to manage the pharmacy benefit. We don't need monopolies, but we could right. use people who, uh, who are in between managing that. It's a job that other people don't want, and that's why they farmed it out and created those companies to begin with. But a simple fee-based system, um, you know, nominal fee per transaction would just take away all these incentives in the system um, that are misaligned. Yeah. And like you said, so they do serve an important purpose. Like we could use McKesson and um, Vivian, you know, to control or to, I shouldn't say control, but to uh, manage uh, that, that very difficult job of having all the supplies you need for a hospital system. Uh, but when they benefit so greatly and it, it, it just doesn't feel right. Right. Yeah. I and I think, you know, yeah. you look back historically, the reason that these pharmacy benefit managers existed, people are always asking, like, why do these people even exist? Is you can imagine a time when the world was, the healthcare landscape was different. You're a small independent hospital because most of the hospitals weren't affiliated with large health systems. And so it, to get supplies, to get things, you, it, the opportunity to get bulk purchasing products, uh, pricing uh, was advantageous to you. So you joined these organizations to, to provide you these supplies and things that they, they could buy it in bulk and then give you, you know, a small share of that you'd pay that bulk price as opposed to the um, you know the list price that others would and it saved hospitals and pharmacies money by doing it this way but obviously those day things have changed those companies have changed their sort of their um, their focus there's word um, about uh, these GPOs now and maybe the PBMs also because they're sort of inter, inter interplaying together uh, opening up in Switzerland have you heard anything about this and whether that's uh, in order to get around some of these rules? Oh my goodness, I have not, but that doesn't surprise me. They are highly motivated individuals with a very sophisticated uh, strategists. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that could be, and, and PBMs, we should mention to your listeners, is it an American phenomenon? I, yeah. I mean, it's not a worldwide system that's utilized. It's, it's at least not, they're not set up the same if they do have these type of organizations. So pharmacy benefit managers set up the way they do is that absolutely an American since 1987, actually 2003 for the PBMs phenomenon. And not a coincidence that if you look at drug prices since then, they have gone up, 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 up. Yeah. Um, I thought perhaps we could talk a little bit about insulin pricing. That's something I'm really passionate about. Uh, I have a lot of uh, patients who are diabetic and I see firsthand and waste a huge amount of exam room time on trying to help my patients get insulin. And one of the executive orders was actually about insulin pricing. Okay. Um, I didn't know if you know one of them um, targeted just insulin prices based on uh, but uh, the 340B program. Now, um, you want to talk potentially corrupt systems, the 340B I think is right up there in um, potentially one of those systems that's being misused or, or uh, utilized for, for profits in a way that wasn't originally intended. And um, it's another thing that I think President Trump also uh, realizes, and he maybe wants to make bigger changes, but the executive order was kind of a narrow, um, a narrow little aspect. So what he did is um, he said these 340B programs, now 340B is a system that they came up with to try to discount um, certain drugs for 
low income or in indigent people as was the basic idea. So that let's say the reservation in Utah or the, the native reservation that they could have a health center there and then they could get prescriptions for a lower price so that they could provide them to their okay. patients at a lower price. That's what it's supposed to be. Um, but over the last um, 10-ish years and, and, and more recently, the, I, I was astounded to, to learn with some research that the 340, that about half of our uh, hospital systems, sorry, a third of our hospital systems and half of our pharmacies are now qualifying as 340B. And that clearly isn't quite right. And these pharmacies and hospitals are purchasing literally for pennies. Like in some cases, it's the transaction is a penny, something they just make up called penny pricing just so that there's a price but it's basically free. And then reselling them at high prices through PBMs and to patients and thus getting a profit. Um, a huge amount of our non-for-profit hospitals who we um, probably recognize clearly are for-profit in every way and not even paying taxes are able to qualify as 340B and thus get these pharmacy uh, products at extremely low prices. And yet they're not required to resell them or to pass them on to patients at these low prices. So it's a profit generating and that's why they're exploding. So yeah, so, that's you hear people complain about insulin pricing all the time, right? Like it's a fairly recent phenomenon that insulin was once, I think, fairly inexpensive and has now really changed in just the last yeah, few years. For lots of reasons. The 340B program is just one way that they can capitalize on, uh, that these um, companies can capitalize on bigger profits. But they also, uh, insulin prices has been because of FDA rules that are basically crazy about um, molecules and generics and there's loopholes there. The evergreening of patents has increased the price of insulin. Certainly the PBM issue and the kind of monopolies that we discussed have increased the price of insulin. So it's multifactorial, but um, it's a life-saving medication and thus um, the administration realizes they want to help these people in some ways. I think one program that they've done that has helped way more that didn't get enough press, I can talk about in just a minute, but this executive order just targets the 340B program saying, look, if you're going to get these drugs at such a cheap price, you really need to pass them on to your patients and be accountable for that at that same low price. Not all concept, but there you have it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I was reading last night a little bit more about this, and um, they fully admit, and government um, inquiries have found that 50% of the medications that they dispense or administer, they sell at full price and they get at for free. So it just blow, it blows my mind. So he targeted federally, um, or F F Q H C, what it federal qualified health centers or something. So yes. like community health centers. So I I think it's unfortunate, but again, it's probably what he felt like what what Trump felt like he could do at the time is to say, look, let's 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 make sure that these and these are probably the the best actors in the system. You know, the hospitals, like I said, that are. Uh, qualifying as 340B because of all their charity work and they're padding their charity dollars with their overinflated prices that they ne that right, aren't what right. they actually cost, you know, are qualifying as 340Bs and then reselling prices. They're the bad actors. If we could make them follow the rule that's in this executive order, we would have real change. Um, but again, this is narrow and it's something. And so even just the fact that the, these health, uh, community health centers have to, uh, under this executive order, uh, ha have to avoid making a profit on medications they get for free is something. And it should, I hope, maybe put some of these other hospital systems in taking advantage of the 340B system on alert 
you know, to say like, oh, maybe that gig could be up. And that, and, and anytime you look, I think, at a system and say like, I wonder why the 340B um, qualified centers has, you know, gone up 10 times in the last five to seven. Well, it's profitable. Yeah, right. I mean, people aren't stupid. Like they're going to find a way. They're like, oh, you're making more money with that? It's estimated that these uh, pharmacies and hospital systems can have three to four times more profit from these 340B programs than a typical transaction from a commercial or private insurance. So find some way to qualify as 340B. So I, uh, our administration really gets it. They see where these loopholes are happening. It's just sad that it's so limited um, in, in some ways how politically and how and logistically that we can get what would make the biggest changes for our patients. It's really all about patients. Do you have an idea for like, because I, I know I was looking at, um, when I interviewed Zach Zeller from Scripco last episode, we discussed generic or actually wholesale pricing for generics and you know insulin is a generic uh, humalog, and it was uh, the price is like a hundred or two hundred dollar maybe it's a hundred dollars for a uh, hundred units so a dollar unit for insulin. Do you have any idea what the pricing was recent? I mean, is that a is that a, a, a big increase from a few years ago, or is the wholesale price pretty similar to what it was in the past? Do you know? Are you talking about like how much a vial of insulin? Yeah, like how much? It, I'm just example? I'm just curious the wholesale price. How much has changed in the last ten years? Let's say. Oh, like ten times more. So it used to be like ten bucks for that same vial of hundred units. Well, it's like five six hundred now, and it used to be like forty fifty sixty. Okay, because at least I think with his price, it was like a hundred dollars for the wholesale. So, but that mm-hmm. doesn't surprise me that you pay far more at the through the pharmacy because of the pharmacy managers and those things. But so that's yeah advantage of his. It's all rebates. I have a couple great infographics that are put out by some of these truth in prescribing or websites that I've done mm-hmm. in some of my talks. And it, it's, it's, it's estimated that at least 50% and in some cases up to 60 or 80, which is outlandish of the price of the vial of insulin is all going to the middleman and not the manufacturer that creates it, tests it, not even the distributor that puts it in the bottle right. and takes right. it and send. I mean, they're getting, this money in our system is going to people who do nothing. Con- they right. contract, right? That's all they do is Secret contract. contracts. Yeah. They collect money and control money, control the market. And Good that's business obscene. if you can get it. <laughs> yeah, that's obscene. So what I was saying about insulin pricing, one of the uh, things that was rolled out in May amidst the turmoil of coronavirus and probably got completely lost is that there's a program that uh, uh, our administration was able to accomplish. It's a, it's a it's a trial program, but it's got a lot of buy-in. So what he what what Trump did is he got some of these really big stakeholders to the table. So all the main insulin manufacturers, uh, Novo Nordisk, Novo, and all the you know the one uh-huh. Sanofi, uh, came to the table, and the big PBMs, believe it or not, um, like the main ones that administer the Medicare this Medicare again Part D, uh-huh. came to the table and um, said, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of characterize insulin as a uh, no deductible or uh, essential medication, like a, like a preventive care, like what they sure. did for colonoscopy or something where it's like, that's going to be zero out of pocket. And I don't know if you know about this, but I think it just has not gotten much press and it's going to be huge for our patients coming to July, January, sorry, January 2021 is supposed to be when it starts. So the way it's set up is that um, currently patients pay a huge amount for these expensive medications out of pocket in Medicare. 
because they have to meet their first, you know, 1500 that they have to pay, and then they pay a percentage of these inflated prices in the donut hole now called the gap, coverage yeah, gap right. or something. And then in the catastrophic phase, they just keep paying like an almost unlimited, so their out-of-pocket could be like 6000 With the new program, they right off the bat get a $35 copay for um, all their insulins. So, for example, like most people have two insulins, at least they have a long acting and short acting. So instead of paying, first of all, three, four hundred for their first copay until they hit their deductible or whatever, they would pay thirty five for each, which is a big savings. And then ongoing that same amount, so even in catastrophic. So it's estimated that that program alone would save um, uh, five thousand or so for the average patient uh, on insulin prices starting in January. So. Um, it's programs like that, I think, that, that illustrate how broken our system is. And yet it's at least somewhat encouraging that when you it when and if you could get kind of some uh, enough people to come to the table and say, how can we fix this problem? We need our seniors to get insulin. And we do believe that in the end, this will save you all because they will be getting their insulin right. and not, you know, getting complications of diabetes. That's the whole idea for this plan that maybe we could actually make some change. So I feel like that says that uh it's not even an executive order. It's just like a, just a rule, rule change. Or, yeah. Yeah. Or uh gosh, what do they call it? I forget. Some kind of like a a, a plan or um test te- trial test trial, but it but it has a lot of science um to, to see if it works and then you know if it does maybe they would make it law or something, for example. So um if, if we can show that things like that work maybe we have hopes of changing also, again, our underlying broken system. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for the discussion today. It was really interesting I, to find out about the executive orders and sort of what's going on with the PBMs. And, and you know, I think showing that that advocacy sometimes pays off. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I hope you feel so. Like you, it was yeah. so, so fun to go there. I don't know that it will ever happen again. I was full on pinching myself. I was like, I was the president. <laughs> and people are like, you're so close. What does this hair look like? Do we smell good? Oh, so that high wears off. Those are questions I would not ask. People are so funny. I don't know. These are the texts I'm getting all the time that day. That and many other crazy things and weirdo Facebook requests that I was like, he died. So so that happened. But then when the high wears off, is what I'm saying, kind of read through them and executive orders and put some of the caveats and limitations, it brings you right down to reality. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, how's a, what's a good way for people to keep track of you and to follow you on uh, Twitter, Facebook? I am on Twitter, MDTiptonMD. And um, also, yes, Facebook is Mary Delilah Tipton. It's Delilah without an H at the end, D-E-L-I-L-A. And um, I do try to post some of my escapades on both those locations. Uh, and the free to care uh, organization that I mentioned, by the way, is available for any physician to join free and also patients. Um, one of the parents, it's a like umbrella organization for other organizations. So that's free. And then the number two, and then the word care.org. So free to care.org. Our white paper is there that um, discusses a physician-led roadmap to decreasing cost and waste in medicine. We just encourage people to learn more about um, the ways that we can improve our system uh, outside of specific uh, party or insurance plans just to improve the physician-patient relationship and make more of the um, 
free market principles work. Well, Dr. Mary Tipton, thank you so much for being on The Paradox today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what the doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher and share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash the paradox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com.